Alice, what's the word? Club. Club? Do you realize AA is the largest club in the world where none of its members wanted to join? Where'd you hear that? I I heard heard it through the grapevine. Welcome. It's the AA Grapevine Half Hour Variety Hour featuring the collected voices of Alcoholics Anonymous. I'm Don, an alcoholic in Greensboro, North Carolina. Donnie! Hey everybody, I'm Sam, an alcoholic in Palm Springs, California. Hiya, Sam. How you doing, Donnie Wani Ding Dong? I'm doing good. I'm trying to be grateful. (laughs) Well, it does require some work sometimes, doesn't it? Yeah. You know, I get the daily quote email Mm -hmm. from AA Grapevine, and it's also in the Grapevine app. It is. Every day, right at the front. But there was one I just love. There has to be something to be grateful for if I'm only willing to change my attitude and look for it. (laughs) Ooh, that's from uh, the Mesa, Arizona, March 2010, Not on Fire, AA Grapevine. That is a good one, Don. It is. The the act of having gratitude is the act of changing my attitude. (laughs) (laughs) It is. And it requires, um, for me, it requires an awareness, particularly of I'm not in gratitude right now. I love it when I catch myself being grateful. Like uh, one of the things for me is when I get out in, in the car here in the Coachella Valley and just look up. I, I've got a friend here who says, when you're sitting at that stoplight at that intersection, are you looking at the stoplight or are you looking at the mountains behind it? <laughs> and it's the yeah. mountains behind it. That's where the magic, because I get chills every time. I love them. It is a matter of what I pay attention to, because mm-hmm. I've got a choice of paying attention to what's going wrong, or I could pay attention to what is right in the world. And I'm naturally inclined to figure out everything that's wrong with every situation. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know? yes. But you know, there's that snowball effect too, of when I start looking for things to be grateful for, I find more and more. Well, that's the beauty of it. That's the beauty of recovery. Yeah. By looking at for gratitude every day, and it's become a practice in my life that I do it every day. Mm-hmm. Even when I'm feeling bad, I feel bad if I don't do my gratitude <laughs> list. Well, you know, it's kind of, you know, when you buy a new car, you then see that car everywhere yeah. on the road, but you never saw it before. Yeah. It's the same thing with me and gratitude. When I start looking for gratitude and expressing and feeling my gratitude, I find more and more things to be grateful for. And I do a little journal at the end of every night. You know, I'm reflecting on my day. And one of the questions I ask myself is, what are you grateful for? You know, when I first came into AI, I thought this kind of thing was really Pollyanna. (laughs) Yeah. Gosh, what am I going to have to take up needlepoint now? And write little things on pillows. Hey, hey, don't be dissing (laughs) needlepoint. So I just thought that the whole thing was just very sweet. Isn't AA very sweet? And finding gratitude and everything is like, that's because I was a cynical nihilist who thought that the world was going to end in flames at every moment and you know and everything was wrong and i needed to point it out to everyone at every minute or else they weren't paying attention 
And the fact is, that's the only thing I was paying attention to. And the act of having, of writing a gratitude every day has, changes it. So like sometimes during the day, I'll notice something that's just beautiful and go, Ooh, that's going on my gratitude list. Well, that's, yeah. that's different behavior than always looking for what's wrong. I'm now looking to see what am I grateful for? Yeah. And it, it does change us. What's on the show today? I mean, well, are you going to be grateful if I answer that question? I think I will be. <laughs> today, we're going to have some fun on the podcast. Finally. I mean, uh, I mean, we always Gratefully. have fun. <laughs> Gratefully. <laughs> but today, we have a rollicking game of Stomp the Thumper, our big book quiz show. And our guest today is Cindy M. And we'll get to know her a bit and then subject her to your dastardly <laughs> scheme of a game. Well, I don't know if she knows about Stump the Thumpers. I don't know what she's gotten herself into, but I'm <laughs> really looking forward to meeting Cindy. I understand that she is a toss pot. You mean a rum hound. Yeah, she's a lush. A tippler. An inebriant. A dipsomaniac. Precisely. To put it in plain and simple language, she's a dipsomaniac. Are you sure? <laughs> We're going to find out in just a minute. <laughs> How can I support the Grapevine podcast? Since the Grapevine is self-supporting, we don't sell ad space in our magazines, on our website, or even in the podcast. Grapevine doesn't even accept contributions from AA members. Wait, what? If you want to support this podcast, visit aagrapevine.org and click on store or subscribe in the new Grapevine app. Cindy, and I'm an alcoholic, which doesn't sound nearly as fancy as all those other words. <laughs> but you don't take offense at toss pot. <laughs> oh no, I'm I'm definitely a toss pot. <laughs> I, I've been sober since December the seventeenth, nineteen eighty five, and for that I'm extremely grateful. It's the biggest deal in my life, and because of it, I have a pretty big life. Wow. I mostly live in Louisville, Kentucky, but I also live in Cincinnati. I commute back and forth, and I'm a caregiver for my parents, which is a miracle. Mm. And uh, my home group online is the Great Facts Meeting. We meet at 7 o'clock, seven nights a week. I currently chair Thursday nights, and my in-person home group is the Roadrunner Group in Louisville, Kentucky. We meet Saturday mornings at 10 o'clock. The Roadrunner Group. Yes. Ooh, interesting name. Do you know how that happened? Yeah, it's not very exciting. It's just that there were a bunch of us that ran before the meeting. So the meeting started at 10. So we were the Roadrunners group. I love it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was wondering about uh, the online group, the Great Facts group. So you just communicate with faxes back and forth? Oh, Don, the 80s call. I can't help myself. You know what we say, Don. 
Bless your heart. And, and the <laughs> AA version of bless your heart, keep coming back. <laughs> That's exactly it. So, Cindy, what was going on with you when you got sober? Why did you come to Alcoholics Anonymous? There was nothing else. The first time I got sober, I came on the heels of seven felonies, and that was in 1980. So it was a lot of consequences, and some really groovy things happened. And during the five-year time period, I actually put together almost three years of continuous sobriety. But I relapsed because, um, in large part, I had never surrendered to my innermost self that I was alcoholic. I admitted it. I knew that my life is unmanageable. That's never been in question. But I didn't concede to my innermost self that if I got an education, if I had stability, I'd never had stability in my life. I didn't go to high school. I lived on the streets. I had a relatively low bottom. And so I got sober. I started to get some of those things. And there had been a lingering notion in the back of my mind that's, and I didn't know it. Mm. I had a lingering notion that someday, somehow I could drink again. You know, if I had stability, if I had resolved the demons inside of me, if I could afford to, to, to pay for my own place, have a car, those kinds of things. And I got all of that. And eventually I drank and it took about a year to get back. And when I got back, the difference was a surrender to my innermost self. Nothing horrible happened, no felonies, no terrible consequences. As most of I lost a job. I didn't have a place to live, things like that. The difference was that I knew that as good as it could ever get was me vomiting on myself, urinating on myself, coming out of a blackout, terrified of how to get home and where was I, which is my story. And that's really what made me finally be in Alcoholics Anonymous, if you will. What was the place that wasn't working for you before? Was it just that you wanted to drink again? I didn't even remember taking a drink. It didn't just happen like that. Every, I was speaking all over. I was popular. I had such a low bottom. And I was going to meetings every day. And so I'm a real big believer in that meeting makers don't always make it because mm-hmm. that was me. But what happened was I'd taken a job. You know, we talked good. And I got this executive position. And I was very young and unqualified. And I felt ashamed because I knew they were going to figure out who I was. Mm-hmm. And instead of going to AA and telling the truth, I don't know how to do this job. I'm afraid of my secretary. I hide from her instead of telling her how to help me. Instead of doing that, I came and passed out business cards. And I told everybody how great I was doing because I have to be more to be enough even in a. Yes, yes. I did that with a sponsor at one point. My last drink was in 2003 Mm -hmm. and I reset my date in 2012 because uh, poppers and diet pills became part of my story and da 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 da, da. Um, But <laughs> you said that really fast. Is I was, after my first sponsor had moved on, the subsequent sponsors that I chose, there was something about them that some part of me needed to impress. And I mm. was not completely in with them like I was with my first sponsor. And bad ideas sounded good. And I wound up going out in the way that I did. Yeah, I believe that, you know, we must have the capacity to be honest if we want to stay sober and that capacity grows. But what does that mean? And so for me, it's can I be transparent and authentic? Am I the same person when I come to the AA meeting as I am when I go home, as I am when I go to work? And that wasn't true for me because I felt like an imposter and I was I was just scrambling. And literally don't remember drinking, remember waking up drunk. And so there wasn't a conscious decision, but I think that's how relapse creeps up on folks. 
Well, you know, there's that line, there are those who are constitutionally incapable of being honest with themselves. And I have heard people quote that line saying, well, AA is not going to work for me because I'm constitutionally incapable of being honest with myself, which breaks my heart. So my question to you is, how can you identify if I'm being honest with myself or not? Well, I absolutely knew that I was trying to put on. Mm. So if I'm being dishonest with you, that would be the first thing. But what's honest for me today, when I was 10 years sober, 15 years sober, 20 years sober, I couldn't have been the kind of honest I am now. And so part of it is, am I continuing to grow along spiritual lines and get in a capacity to see more? And to Sam's point, do I have people around me, a sponsor and a support network, including for me, the women I sponsor, who, if I'm getting left of center, have both the courage and permission to say, hey, you're, and I, can I hear them? And so that to me is the biggest way. I mean, gosh, when I first got sober, being honest was like stealing and telling you. It, it little, 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 little by slowly. And now it's like the depth of where I have to go and what I have to see. Because I think the longer we're sober, the more challenged we are to grow more and to do deeper, if that makes any sense at all. I think you're right. But I think there's another thing. It's a trap that's waiting for us. I need to look good for the newcomer. And that is bull. Bleepity bleep. Yeah, yeah. I think that this thing of being honest with myself comes down to, am I willing to share where I am no matter where I am with my sponsor and with yes. my friends? This is what you two have described, it sounds like, that I feel squirrely. I'm not, I'm not feeling good today, you know, to share that, to not pretend like I've been sober a long time. I'm all right. Yeah, I'm doing good because that's dangerous. To both of your points, when I was 11 years sober, I took what I call a walk in the dark. My grandmother had died and was, she was the one safe person in my life who was consistent. And she was the one person that went to church, believed in God and never scared me with it. She just loved everybody. And so when she died, she was afraid. And I got so mad at God mm -hmm. that I took a walk in the dark. But what I did right, because we have to partner in this thing with God, is I didn't go to meetings with my 11-year sober self because that AA persona will kill us more than any other. I went and I cried and I said, I can't feel God. And I was willing to still seek God. Now, I ended up, I bought a Harley Davidson in early recovery and that was my first meditation tool and I got on it. <laughs> I did 12 years sober, which about um, been about six months that I took this walk in the dark and I was on the highway and I got hit and then I got drove over by a car while I was laying in the middle of the highway. And so I lost everything at 12 years sober that all the dependencies outside, which were what I looked like, my ability to earn money, you know, my ability to remember I'd had this really kind of pretty smart brain could memorize the big book and misuse it. <laughs> you know, But now I couldn't remember your name 10 minutes after I met you. And it was a beautiful thing. And it's what you're, what you were talking about, you know, earlier was that God can make good use out of anything. If I let it, I can be grateful no matter what my circumstances are. I, I just can't. And what happened for me in that experience was I was open and I couldn't resist 
how much people loved me. And people came from Cincinnati, Louisville, from all over. And um, I felt loved at 12 years sober for the first time unconditionally. It was the first time in my life. And then people brought me new girls that were feeling sorry for themselves when I got home. They'd come in and they'd whine and they'd complain like we do. And we're now, wham, wham, my boyfriend left, right? And I would have a seizure and they would feel better. Now, I didn't know what happened. Okay, all I know is that when they come to my house, they're kind of sad. And when they leave my house, they're kind of happy. I can't even remember their name. I'm on food stamps, so security, disability, nobody expects me to function again. But what I felt was useful. Wow. And that's the same thing that we get to feel when we do coffee, when we do anything. Mm -hmm. And when I feel useful, I get better no matter what the problem is. There's a phrase that pops up on my phone wallpaper from time to time. I absolutely love it. The problem is not the problem. The problem is my attitude towards the problem. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the golden key at Fox is all about when I have a problem, instead of focusing on the problem, focus on God. It's like, can I just transfer that? Because it's just a different angle of approach that you can't, I don't know how to change my attitude other than doing something different. Yes. I can't just sit and say, well, I don't want to feel this way, so I'm not gonna. But if I, if I just turn my thoughts to God or whatever that higher power being is for me, then it takes me out of the problem. You said earlier, I had to depend on God and it did this and that. So you said it. I wonder if you can talk about what this concept of God is, because some people bristle at the very word. Yeah, gosh, it's evolving. If I was at my house in Louisville, I have a four to ceiling shelves of every religious book ever written, probably. And I've read them. There's truth in all of them. And what I love about AA and the only reason I could survive here is that you don't tell me what God is to me. I get to determine that. I was so afraid of God and particularly religious people when I got here. Our big book only describes God two ways. A loving God, as he may express himself in our group conscience. Loving. And then God is infinite and I'm finite. And so I believe that if I'm finite, it would be very arrogant of me to think I could define or box God in. And so God's bigger than all of it. And it has changed and it has grown. And I continue to be a seeker. Um, I feel God. During COVID, I got really afraid. I've been locked up a lot of my young life before I came to AA. And I felt locked up again. And I was afraid. I, I own businesses now. I'm pretty successful. And I was afraid I was going to lose all that. So I had a day where it was like, you know. And so I took up Native American flute. What would happen is it would get my breath below my chest so I could feel God. And I feel like we all have a perfect listening device right above our heart. And if I can get my energy below that, when my energy's up and I'm frantic, I can't feel God, I can't hear God. But if I get my energy down and I want to hear God, God will show up. And that's what happened for me on the Harley when I was three years sober. You know, I couldn't sit still. I vibrated, you know. But And, and I had a, not just a committee. I had a firing squad. You piece of junk. They're going to know blah, blah, blah. And I get on that Harley. Yeah, I got on that Harley and I could feel God in the wind, you know. And so my relationship with God is forever evolving. But I do know this, that it is centered and rooted in love. Beautiful. It, he, she, it doesn't matter. 
God's bigger than a word. Yeah. I can't limit God. And I think I belong to most of the religions. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I used to not like any of them. And I personally, Buddhism is not a religion. It's a practice that can go on Christianity. It can go on anything. Mm-hmm. I don't, I'm not a practicing Buddhist, but I like some of that because it, I find truth by taking away, not by adding. I don't find truth by getting more things or I find truth by letting go of things that aren't me. That's beautiful. I, I love this. Take what you need and leave the rest. I am not a religious person and I never will be, but I absolutely can borrow this from this and this from over here. And this is my experience. And this is what works for me. And to the contrary, if you come in and you are very religious, we welcome you. Too. We do. And our book was so progressive that Muslims were mentioned in the writing of the big book. Mm -hmm. It's never been that it was only meant for one religion or one set. It's always been all-inclusive. You've mentioned the Harley in regard to meditation, that when you were on it, you could experience God in the wind. My interpretation of what you said was that, you know, on the motorcycle, you had to pay attention. You had to focus. I related to that because I used to go to a shooting range quite a bit. It shocked me when the words came out of my mouth telling someone that it was meditative. I had to focus on what I was doing and all other things went away. Is that what you're talking about with meditation for you and the motorcycle? Yeah, it gets my busy brain out of the way. Same thing with the flute. So that I can feel instead of think. Because connecting with God is not an intellectual process. Mm -hmm. I've got to open my spirit up so I can hear him. I love that. And I have written down the Native American flute because I want to check that out for myself. (laughs) It's pretty cool and it's not that hard. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to have to arrange a duet with you two on the podcast. (laughs) We're going to have new intro music. (laughs) Cindy? This has been fabulous getting to know you, and I want you to stick around because it's time to play Stump the Thumpers. That's a big book. Our big book quiz show. And here's our quiz master, Donnie Wani Ding Dong. Okay. Thanks, Spammy. <laughs> I've researched the first 164 pages of the big book. And Dr. Bob's story. Sam, let's keep this simple. I have chosen a few easy questions for our contestant. It's only easy if you know the answer, but Don, <laughs> we really need some new questions. Please send us some big book questions. Write some multiple choice big book questions and send them in to us and maybe we'll use them on Stump the Thumpers. So the quiz is multiple choice. It's not hard. It's as easily as falling off a stool. Mm -hmm. Is that a bar stool you're thinking of? (laughs) There was a time when it took an effort to stay on the bar stool. (laughs) And what do they win, Sam? The warm glow of accomplishment. Oh, I can feel it. Is that all? Well, I'm, I'm going to put a little heart symbol on my window, too, on my video window. That's sweet. I'm sweet. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I've got three questions today. Guess right and gain 2,000 points. 
That's a lot of points. But Cindy is an alcoholic. I don't know about you, but my dopamine receptors are exhausted. I need a lot of points, and I'm sure Cindy does too. We alcoholics need a lot of encouragement. <laughs> there are never, ever enough points. Cindy, are you ready? Okay. <laughs> Did I mention I had a brain injury on the Harley? <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's not pull the brain injury card. Oh, if there was ever a good card to pull, that's one, but you can't pull it. All right, all right. <laughs> okay, here we go. In Into Action, we are told that we develop superpowers of a sort, a vital sixth sense. That sixth sense is, one, seeing dead people. Two, identifying emotions easily. Three, God consciousness. Four, the ability to smell danger. Three. Ding, 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 ding. Yes. <laughs> the answer is on page 85. To some extent, we have become God conscious. We have begun to develop this vital sixth sense. That's 2,000 points. <laughs> so what does God conscious mean, Cindy? It means that um, I'm aware of God and that feeling thing, which is why I have to meditate in the morning so I can get my energy down so that I can hear God throughout the day and invite God in. It's when I ask for intuitive thought, there it is. Yeah, exactly for me. That's it. It's like... Am I willing and open and listening to be available to the day and see what's happening? And then if I need help, ask. I like the acronym, Good Orderly Direction for God. And I often use, all, well, I use it all the time. I ask God to direct my thinking, particularly mm -hmm. when I'm in turmoil. And when I, in my professional life, I also uh, do IT services. Uh, What's IT, sir? That's computer work. Yeah. And whenever I'm sitting down at a particularly problematic situation and I'm stumped, prayer is a go-to. Please show me the answer. It doesn't necessarily show up right then, but it still, yeah. it brings me back in touch to where I don't have to bulldoze through this. And I think that's the key thing. I'm not bulldozing. I'm <clears throat> allowing life to happen. I'm letting go as hard as I possibly can. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. In two employers, we learn that as a class, alcoholics are one, hopeless, two, energetic, three, weak minded, four, good looking. It's definitely, it's got to be four. Good luck. <laughs> you want to hear him again? Oh, yeah. As a class, alcoholics are one, hopeless, two, energetic, three, weak-minded, four, good-looking. One. Hopeless. Oh, but no. One. The actual answer is... Energetic? It is. Page 146, as a class, alcoholics are energetic people. You know, I, I I totally get where you went to hopeless because that's how we tend to come in here. Mm. 
But we are giving the employer hope. So perhaps we don't hone in on that quite as much. Yeah. We do mention it, don't we, to the employer? Well, to an employer, (laughs) alcoholics probably are hopeless. Well, but the thing about being an energetic people is it totally goes to Don's favorite term within all of our literature. And that is we are enthusiasts. Well, we are. That is for sure. (laughs) Which is Bill's way of saying that we are obsessive (laughs) and making a positive spin on it. It's true for employers, a sober alcoholic is a great employee because we're energetic and focused and like want to get it done. So So what's the score? The score is 2,000 points. This is a real big book thumper historian question. You're going to have to put up with me here. What celebrated American statesman said, let's look at the record, as quoted on page 50 in We Agnostics. Was that celebrated statesman who said, let's look at the record? One, Al Smith. Two, Harry Emerson Fostick. Three, Herbert Hoover. Four, Professor Langley. Hey, hey, Cindy. Cindy, look at me. Number one. <laughs> what? Yes! <laughs> ding, 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 ding. Al Smith. 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 But it's Al Smith, New York governor, ran for president against Herbert Hoover in 1928 with the campaign slogan, Let's Look at the Record. So I know that's unfair. It's just that my sponsor, he is a history buff. And when it said, let's look at the record, he was going, let's look at the record. That was Al Smith's campaign. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but at least Fosdick was in the, in the Oxford group. <laughs> that's, that's totally where I went. Before I looked at the answer, I was thinking Harry Hemerson Fosdick. Well, he's mentioned in the big book, which is what is really cruel to put that in there. because You are a cruel, cruel man. That was exactly where I went. I do know a little bit about AA history. The rest of the world, I didn't go to high school, so I just don't know that much. (laughs) It's really not even AA history. This is like old presidential history. I know AA history, some of it. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm glad you uh, guessed that correctly. Absolutely. And and I think that the difficulty of that question deserves additional points. So I'm going to award you 6,000 points for that. So you're at 8,000 points now, Cindy. That is absolutely awesome. Those dopamine receptors are firing, aren't they? I feel like a winner. You are a winner. You've got it. Thanks for playing Stump the Bumpers. Golly, if I could do this well at the history thing at conferences. You could get a free ice cream at the ice cream social. (laughs) Oh, man. Well, thanks so much. Thank you so much for playing with us. Thank you all for having me. I really appreciate it. If you're like this alcoholic and this alcoholic, there is never, ever enough. Stick around after the close for a little extra. Oh, yeah, I'll have some extra. Grapevine is looking for CPC stories. What is CPC? Cooperation with the professional community. If you have provided doctors, therapists, clergy, lawyers, teachers, parole officers, and other professionals information about AA, then you have done CPC work. 
and we want your stories about how you got into that kind of service, what it's like, what you've learned, and how it's enhanced your sobriety. Alternatively, did a professional help you find your way to AA? That's the other side of CPC work. Or are you a professional who found out about AA from members doing CPC work? Stories can be from 300 words to 1,800 words in length. Please send your stories to aagrapevine.org backslash share. Stories are due by April 1st, 2024. a joke during an online meeting yeah but no one laughed turns out i'm not remotely funny Thanks for joining us. The AA Grapevine Half Hour Variety Hour is posted every Monday and is produced by AA Grapevine, Inc. We don't speak for AA as a whole. We share the experience, strength, and hope of members to help others recover from alcoholism. Podcast info, including how to call in, is at aagrapevine.org slash podcast. Search AA Grapevine in the App Store on your phone or find AA Grapevine on Instagram and YouTube. All things Grapevine are available at aagrapevine.org. If you want to know more about AA, search online for Alcoholics Anonymous in your city or visit aa.org. That was freaking amazing. Last thing, I'm just curious. So you've completely recovered from the brain injury. Oh, you don't even want to hear it. So I had six years, the motorcycle wreck. This all happened in six years. Then I had uh, stage three breast cancer, spent a year doing chemo and radiation. Then I started to fall, not be able to get up. I've been kicked through doors when I was a kid. So my back had been broken and exacerbated it. So I had to have this big deal surgery. Then this all happened in Louisville, all happened in AA or wouldn't tell it. And then for the grand finale, I fell through my attic and landed on my neck and my C5 split in half and I was paralyzed from the chest down. And I spent three months in the hospital and I have recovered from all of that. Wow. Not without health issues. I have a bazillion health issues and I deal with a lot of chronic pain successfully. But yeah, I'm good. Wow. The smile on your face. (laughs) I know. What a miracle of AA because talk about being in despair. I'm sure there were moments of complete despair in that. I had despair just having a low fever last week when I got sick. But this is a, this is that situation that we were talking about earlier in the podcast about the gratitude, though. I mean, it's apparent that that is a part of your life. Yeah. And the truth is, like, my I didn't have a family that could show up. So AA showed up. Like, my family came for one week through all of that. And... AA showed up over and over. So I, I got love and care that I had never imagined for myself. So I didn't come here with a lot of expectations for my life. It's just everything has been surpassed. And all I ever wanted was to be loved. And that came in spades. I did feel a little helpless when my neck was broke. And they didn't think I'd ever move more than this. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but my friends came and said, too bad, <laughs> too bad, get up. You've got so, work to do. <laughs> pretty much. And, you know, I've just been so blessed. It's like I, I've been able to be useful in ways I never would have been if that didn't happen. And if I didn't have the crappy childhood and adolescence I had, I didn't think that I could have handled all that. So God gives us yeah. everything we need the way we need it. Absolutely. You know, we, we mentioned superpowers in the, uh, the, the big book quiz. I've got friends who have said our greatest liabilities become our superpowers. And it's, it's so true. 